This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Pop Me, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand your customers better. I'm Jen Vogel, and today I want to talk about technology adoption. The best market research tech stack is only useful when people are actually using it. And so to dive into that topic, today I'm joined by Tere Schroeder. Tere is an industry leader utilizing the best and most progressive insights tools and methods. She applies academic concepts to real world business problems, and I'm really excited to chat with her today. Welcome to the show, Tere. Jen, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. really excited to have you on the show today. I'm sure a lot of our audience is familiar and has heard you speak before, but I'm I'm excited to be able to ask you my own questions. <laughs> Great. I'm excited to talk all things res tech and, yes. uh, and get it into the, your organization. I think see the key there. Absolutely. Yeah. So important. So before we dive into the topic, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your career, your uh, experience in the insights uh, industry? Sure. Well, I guess I've officially been in insights so long that I'm called a seasoned researcher, which I, th I think is a good thing. But um, specifically from my background, I spent about 12 years at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. So shout out to my Proctoy friends. Um, and there I had, I think, about six different roles. So spanning um, global uh, brand research, regional research, um, did a little bit of shopper insights as well. Um, dabbled a little bit in analytics, a uh, group called IBO there, where we led um, volume forecasting and market mix modeling predominantly, and then culminated in my last role, which I think really sparked my passion for understanding kind of new and innovative techniques was in the behavioral sciences lab that P&G had began. So um, that's where I started to really get exposure to behavioral sciences. We had some really, really smart PhDs that we worked with there, cognitive science, neuroscience. And we just really learned a lot and started to understand these more academic concepts and kind of how to apply them to um, consumer behavior. So that was really cool. And then from there, I spent the last eight years at Kellogg up in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, similar track of experiences. So I started in a global role working on Pringles, and then I moved to a U.S. role working in the snacks organization, dabbled a bit more in Shopper, and then again, uh, rounding out my experience there as the U.S. Uh, lead of commercial on Shopper Insights. So that's my, uh, that's my background. Amazing. I think you certainly are a seasoned insights <laughs> professional, <laughs> but in such a good way. I mean, such a wide um, breadth of experience across different teams and different methodologies. And um, I think that's that's really valuable in the space today. Um, so what trends have you been seeing when it comes to specifically technology adoption? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I was just at a conference last week, my first one, and I don't even know how long, probably two years, um, yeah. CRC in Dallas. And 
when I go to the conferences, I always check out the booths and who's there. And again, this year, new tech, there's new technology out there. Um, there's a lot in the autom automation space, AI and um, machine learning, I think is really cool because it's like automating a lot of kind of non-value add tasks or things that take a lot of time or resources. And as I've talked to a lot of the, the companies that are innovating in this space, you know, what, what I'm hearing is they're is this growing trend of kind of like in the middle. So there's kind of been previously the pure DIY space, you know, totally do it yourself. And then there's obviously the full custom space. And both of those have been going for a while, but it seems like companies are finding that there's actually a lot of demand for something that's kind of in the middle. So mm -hmm. there's, there's tools and things that you can do yourself, but then they're also like building up and staffing teams for like customer success or analysts to help you when you need a little help getting through there. And I think this is a really good trend for a couple of reasons. So one is, I think it really helps the adoption curve for new technology when you're bringing it in to not just kind of dump it on you and leave, but to have someone there ongoing to kind of answer your questions or be your, your call line or your helpline um, to get you up and running on it. But then it also gives you some more options when you really are in a time crunch. And so you want to use that technology, but you don't have time to actually set it up or run it or pull it down yourself. So having that little bit of extra space and bandwidth um, from a service perspective to pull that together, I think is really helping teams be able to embrace a lot of this technology. So I, you know, I encourage that development. I think it's going to be really helpful for the industry. Yeah, I think you're right. Like having that sort of in between of not just throwing something fully DIY onto someone who's never had experience with it before, but actually, um, you know, helping to support and and train and onboard is is definitely key. Now, you said something about you know the automation and machine learning that's out there, really helping with non value add tasks for insights um, teams. And I think this is really important. Like, tell tell me a little bit about what you mean by that when you say non value add tasks. Like, what are the things that you um, that can be automated and should be automated versus what still needs um, time and thought and resource. Yeah, I think a, a huge help from a, from client side, if you will, is the automation of the output. So the creation of charts or dashboards or or even some some um, tools now will even put some insights on there, derived insights from that data. So you know the time that teams would spend literally like building slides, creating charts, making graphs, like that was such a big time spend. So to me that like backend automation is hugely um, helpful um, to really expedite the time from when, you know, an insights person gets the insights in the data or the research, and then they're able to deploy it. So it's really cutting a lot of time out of the backend. And then I think there's, which I don't have a depth of knowledge of, but I think there's a lot of cool stuff in the automation that's happening on the front end as well, um, particularly in like fielding and like panel management where they're able to field research quicker. So they've automated some of those tasks there, cleaning the data um, to enable us to actually get in and out of field faster as well. So those are all things that are kind of increasing the speed to research, but you're not really like losing any value by not having like a person doing that stuff themselves. In fact, it's really helpful that people don't have to do that themselves, right? So those are two areas that I've seen be really um, impactful from a speed to um, research uh, area and also just a big help for, for insights professionals, um, lifting a big lift, especially on the, on the visualization and, and 
data creation on the back end. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily require brain power to get it done and it leaves space for for the stuff that does. Um, so, so that's really helpful. Um, so what do you think are like some of the areas where insights professionals are most challenged when thinking about adopting new tech? Where are they struggling the most? Yeah, I think there's a lot of challenges. And I think this is a good discussion to have for both the insights professionals, but even the, the vendors and the creators of these new tech. It's evolving so fast and so furious. I feel like it's almost like a fire hose of things coming at us anymore. It's like there's so many different options. There's so many new tech. Um, there's so many different ways to do things now. And it's, it's, it's hard to even have, you know, space in your day or your week to even understand what are those options out there. So one thing I think teams may struggle with is even just having the time um, to understand what's out there, um, you know, do some discovery, do some research on what's out there, and then be able to vet some of the options. So, you know, I think some teams have successfully navigated this by creating a role or a dedicated resource within their organization whose job is to find these these tools out there, find these next-gen research applications and, you know, assess them, vet them, you know, bring them into the organization or make recommendations to the organization on, on where they should invest those things. I think that research, because it's becoming so tech-heavy and so data-heavy, we need an investment strategy, a tech investment strategy, and where we're going to need to invest money to build internal capabilities and really an infrastructure for, mm -hmm. for creating all of these new um, tools and techniques that we have. How do we fund those? What what's gonna the going cost gonna look like as we go forward? So I think that if your organization doesn't have a person dedicated to doing that, it can be a real struggle for any individual team member to try to figure that out on their own with so many new things coming up every day. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. The the idea of a tech investment strategy. So you know, if you've got somebody that's focused just on that, you mentioned like budget, like how are you funding the experiments that you're running and things like that? What else would be incorporated in a tech investment strategy? Well, you know, I think about it as almost like you would think about your IT department or other data uh, analytics departments. Like they are recognizing that they need to build internal infrastructures to house this data, to use the data, to export the data. And research, I feel like, hasn't got there yet. Like we're still in the storming phase. Like we're storming through all these new tech and we're finding all this new data and we're still trying to really figure out like how to put it together. And so this is where I think you need those dedicated resources or you need that that mind space to say, hey guys, separate from research dollars, we need to fund an ecosystem that supports our new platforms, right? We need to fund an ecosystem that supports first party data. We need to fund an ecosystem that supports like ingesting this data and reporting it back out or housing it. So those are all things that are almost like, they're almost like capital spending. You know, it's, it's, it's separate from any different research that you're going to run, but it's really about funding the systems that will then fuel the researcher or sustain the research or make it accessible. So, um, you know, I think it's new for research. There might be some companies out there already doing it. Um, I haven't heard a lot of folks talking about it, but I do think those, that's how we need to think a little bit differently from research, because I think as we move from this very custom-based ad hoc model to a more always-on um, and a more, I don't know what the right word is, um, 
but but a more technology driven, I think, um, acquisition strategy from a research and insights perspective. You know, it's there's there's always going to be survey, but there's more and more data that's just available that you can mine for insights or that we, we can source and get customer feedback and consumer feedback on. So that's just a different kind of investment strategy that doesn't tend to land in like, oh, what are we going to spend on copy testing this year? What are we going to spend on product testing? Like we have to think about it differently um, and budget for it differently. Completely. Yeah. And that is a huge shift to go from something that is more ad hoc and you know, point in time research to thinking about your annual strategy. I know there are a lot of um, corporate researchers out there that have trouble with, you know, technology subscriptions and things like that mm-hmm. because it's difficult to predict what kind of, you know, volume of work you might do in a given year or something like that. But the way you describe it, there's data that's always on and always available, and there are programs that are always on that are capturing new data. Um, So kind of thinking of it from that investment strategy, but what you were saying about budget is actually really interesting to me um, because to make that shift, if researchers are are forced to use their research budget for those experiments and that, you know, then there's so much risk. Yes. Yes. And it's not really, it's not a trade-off type thing, right? So and this is where, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this, but we really need to be looking ahead of like, what is going to be the, like the data and the insights needs for the next five years? And how do we create that glide path to get there? Right? So it's like, you can't trade off today's individual study on X for building a, a future structure that will sustain us for the next five years, right? Like those aren't really trade-off type things. So I think we need to look at how we are kind of resourcing the entire ecosystem from an insights perspective, this fly just does not want to leave. So I'd like to introduce Tom, the fly. He's just hanging out with me today. He's not going anywhere. As much as I shoo him away, he's like, no girl, we're we're live. I'm here. This is like Um, such an engaging conversation. Even the flies are into it. He just, he loves it so much. He's a big techie. Um, But anyway, so yeah, it's like, you can't trade one for the other, right? They're not tradable. And again, you wouldn't do this from a data insights perspective. You wouldn't, you know, if you're thinking of your, um, you know, whatever internal data analytics you have, you wouldn't be like, oh, we'll just buy less data so that we can build a structure for it. That's kind of the same thing, right? Right. It's like, no, 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 we don't get less data because we have to fund the structure. We have to figure out how to fund the structure that, that, but that also sustains the research and the data that we need to get. For sure. Yeah, it's very much a like short term, you know, tactics and long term Mm -hmm. vision and strategy for, you know, the future of the team. Like, what is your five year plan, not just your um, objectives for this quarter or even this year? Um, So and being able to to do those parallel and side by side. Really interesting. Um, So once we are, you know, embarking on learning new tech or we've brought a new piece of tech into the insights department, you know, what are some, some triggers or, or what can help to increase adoption um, amongst the team when they are trying to adopt a new piece of technology? Yeah, I've actually had a lot of time to think about this and kind of look back and reflect because I was kind of in charge of, you know, assessing some of these pieces that we brought into the organization. And there's a couple things that I learned along the way. 
um, I would say in the last two years. And one thing that we learned in a big way was about, you know, how do we, how do we discover, how do we vet these things? And I think the traditional way of doing it was very function based. So what does it do? Functionality. We need a thing that does A, B, C, D, right? Or we have this price. So it's like, we need these things for this price, right? Mm -hmm. And that would be kind of your RFP. And you put that out, you, you vet all your vendors, and then you decide on one and you go. But what I realized in doing that is it kind of doesn't matter all the functionality you have if it's not easy to use and if it's not intuitive. So that user interface, especially in this tech space, is just mission critical. So you know, our most recent RFPs have like led with that and you have to go about doing it differently. So instead of just giving, you know, your suppliers a list of functions you need, you got to talk to them about pilots and you need to get beta testers. So you actually need to have people go in there and play around with it and provide some feedback um, to you on how easy to use is it, how intuitive, you know, what, what would it replace? And so, you have to get a lot more granular in the use cases and the actual user feedback. Um, so we did that quite a bit and we even expanded that user group to even go out into our business partners if it was something that that they may be able to tap into as well. So mm -hmm. I think the first piece is really understanding that usability, use cases and, and getting that feedback from the organization. Yeah. I was just gonna say, so the second piece I found too is really about like frequency of use mm -hmm. and they're somewhat connected because obviously like the more you use it, the easier it gets and the better you get at doing it. Um, so, you know, that learning curve kind of gets more and more flat, the more times you're in there interacting with it. Um, but it's also like, it creates a value for the organization and it feels valuable when people are in there and they're using it a lot. So as you think about your list of activities that you're doing or that you want to do, I you know, would say prioritize those high frequency things. So, you know, reach and frequency. So the things that a lot of people use and a lot of people use frequently and focus your, your search there for bringing in a tech provider, because those are going to be the ones that are going to provide the highest value to the organization, because you're going to get a lot of use out of it. Um, you're going to get a lot of positive stakeholder feedback um, because of the value it's creating for them. And then hopefully you'll have less learning curve um, friction, less user um, pain points, because they'll be in there so frequently that they'll get up and running really fast. And then, and then it'll feel very second nature. Right. Interesting. And so I guess um, how, I guess back to the this theme that's emerging of like kind of short-term versus long-term strategy, how do you prioritize doing something uh, the old way that's reliable that you mm -hmm. know for an answer that you need to get today versus, you know, learning and adopting and trying to move into the future of a new piece of technology that you're bringing into the business? Like, how do you make that decision of, you know, when to spend maybe a little extra time learning something new yeah. versus, you know, prioritizing getting something right or doing it a way that's comfortable? Yeah. So this will get into the not the controversial part, but maybe the dicey part a little bit. So and this comes back to your five-year perspective. Like the reality is from an insights perspective, it's changing so fast. Um, and there's so many different tools and there's different way to do the, use the tools. And there's different data sources becoming available every day that you really need someone, again, that's kind of focused on 
what what is going to be available and what are going to be our needs for the next five years. And then this is the, the, the tough part. What are the skills that we need as researchers, mm -hmm. right? Because the skill sets are evolving and it's different types of skill sets that we may need for the next five years. And if we're not thinking about that and building that out, we're always going to have this tougher uphill battle to, to bring in those new things as they come available because we haven't built the skill set or the knowledge base internally to be able to bring those in and and have them have the organization adapt to those changes. My flies back. <laughs> um, so even a personal example I'll give for me is I have never really understood or been that close to like panel management. Um, and recently I've had to like program my own surveys or, or figure out how to get to a different um, audience. And I've had to get in there and really understand that piece of that side of the business that I haven't really been exposed to. But the reality is, is we move more house, more work in house. Like you need to kind of understand those fundamentals. You need to understand how to get that panel management piece right or the recruiting piece right in a, in a way, in a granularity that you maybe weren't exposed to earlier. So it's just, you have to create, you have to think about the needs for the next five years. What are the skills that your folks are going to need? And even what does the resource look like, right? Like maybe your current organizational design would look a little different in five years as we're adapting new tools or doing work differently. And I think that is where we need to create that glide path. And that glide path will not only help us get to, you know, future innovations and, and future ways of doing things, but it'll help bring all our folks along with us as we're like building that skill set into to them and getting them exposure to those type things, you know, you know, change management is hard for for anyone. And a big piece of that is like control or lack of control. So I think if you can set that that journey map to say like, hey, here's where we're going and here's the places we're going to go and how we're going to get there, then it kind of brings some of that control back into, you know, the individual's mindset and they can think about how they're building their skill sets for future needs. Um, and, and like I said, just help kind of glide path everyone along the way. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I guess who's, who's responsible for kind of owning all of this? Like, is the responsibility at the, the head of the department to kind mm -hmm. of make sure everybody's on that glide path and, you know, moving people along? Like, what sort of responsibility does the the day-to-day -day researcher have working on a team with a, a bunch of other researchers? Like, where does the onus fall to to um, kind of push this change management forward? Yeah. I mean, ideally, I think it'd be great if it, it definitely comes from the top, right? So if you're creating that future vision for your organization and where you want folks to be and then figuring out what are the what are the right skill sets um, to get us there, right? So setting that kind of path for folks. But I think individually, it's not bad to always be thinking about that for yourself as well, right? So for yourself to think, hey, what what skill set am I going to need, you know, to get me through the next five years? And how do I get that for myself? Or how do I talk to my manager and, and build that into my development plan or get me the trainings that I want in that? Um, I think those are, you know, I think there's merit to both, you know, having it done at an individual level just so you're always kind of thinking ahead and make sure you're building your technical skill set. Research is a technical skill set um, and we need to keep those skills sharp, right? Else you're you're using outdated tools and you're, you're not gonna be as effective as you could be. Um, but I think there's also, you know, a, it all goes hand in hand from a top-down leadership standpoint about, you know, setting that vision for the future, 
providing those resources to skill your employees to get them um, what they need to really be able to adapt to this new technology and new ways of working. And then also, like I said, creating that investment strategy that's going to move the organization forward in those places um, where you're going to want to be, you know, technically competitive with your competitors. Um, so you need to invest for that. It, it doesn't happen overnight. Even bringing in one new tool doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it probably takes easily six months um, by the time you're finding the tool, vetting the tool, bringing it in, training everyone up. Like these, these are big investments that um, the organization needs to think about and plan long-term for. Yeah, for sure. And prioritize and, you know, see that there's value in spending that time. So I think, I mean, this is the constant battle we all have in our day-to-day -day is mm -hmm. how much time and resource do we put towards our future or more strategic work versus what, what has a deadline? You know, right. what do I need to work on today and deliver on? Um, and that learning and development piece, I mean, like literally have to mark time on the calendar to set yeah. aside to <laughs> yeah. like not do work for a bit, right? Otherwise we just go, right. go, go and check off the list. Um, and leadership needs to create that space for that too, yeah. right? To say it's okay to spend time in your personal development. It's okay to take this training or this class or, or build this skill set. So, you know, leaders need to take that, make that space and then you know, individual people need to step into that space, yeah. right? And, and own that accountability and responsibility for themselves to, to build their skill set. Of course. I was just reading today, somebody posted something on LinkedIn about um, Mad Men. There was an episode of Mad Men where, you know, all of the creatives are like taking naps and like playing games <laughs> and whatever. And it's like, yeah, we need to, we need to like give them space to be unproductive until they're productive. Um, and there are definitely, I mean, maybe not taking naps in the middle of the day, but there's, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe we should all be taking naps in the middle of the day. I think there's some but, good cognitive science to back that from like letting your brain rest. So. For sure. For sure. Well, um, well, I'll have to, I'll, maybe I'll do a, a follow-up post on my banana dance. That's, uh, this is what my son does in between his sessions in kindergarten. They get up and they move to clear their heads. So same idea, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think we should all adapt that a little banana dance into our day. Exactly, for sure. Um, okay, so I mean, back to market research technology. <laughs> we got a little <laughs> off track there. I don't know, in a very short time, Mad Men, banana dance, all that stuff, but research tech. Um, how, how are you thinking about like, the, the new tech that you're bringing into an organization, is it important that it's, you know, are you thinking about individual pieces of tech? Are you thinking about how they integrate and work together or like kind of broader ecosystems of tech, like a complete tech stack? What, what how are you looking at that? And in terms of, you know, how the, the pieces fit together into a broader puzzle? Yeah, I think the endpoint or the hopefully near future endpoint is to think of it more holistically I think at least for me, and a lot of folks are more managing it um, task by task or thing by thing. And I haven't found right now that there is a lot of connectivity across the different tools. So, you know, I'd love for us to get to that end state, um, but I'm not sure it's built there yet. But I think, again, there are synergies there, like to take a simple example of, you know, you have a, a, a tool that runs research, and then you have a tool that holds your research, right? Your your repository, your knowledge base where you store everything. 
you know, and there's processes between running your research and downloading it and doing whatever you're going to do and then re-uploading it to the, to the repository, right? Mm. So, you know, that's a simple one where it's like, well, if those things automatically connected, then it would just cut out a step. Again, it, it would automate, you know, something that's not really value add from a time perspective. So I think there's little things like that where there could be great connectivity. The other thing that I think about is we have a lot of digital asset management tools as well, um, where you have all of your, you know, your pack images or promotional images. And again, is there a way to connect those to your research tools, right? So you just can directly connect them and pull them in and run research again, instead of like downloading them and or uploading them. And so I think there is a lot of opportunity out there to be able to connect a lot of the processes that are in-house that aren't connected today. And I'm sure there's smart people out there working on it. And the next conference, there'll be a booth there to tell me about how they've set that up. But I think it's still a big opportunity area to connect those those systems a lot better. I think some of that, I think you're right. There's probably very smart people out there working to bring it all together. That is sort of the million dollar question is as more data sources become available and there's all more pieces of tech. Really interesting what you said about bringing in the sort of digital assets in there as well. Like how amazing would that be to be able to just click a button and do some research on that um, piece of creative and then also later download that piece of creative to use it and see the stats on it right there. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people that are trying to make that all happen, but yeah, bringing all the... Mm -hmm new data together, passive data, behavioral data in combination with primary research. And like, it, it's it's a lot to try to make sense of all in one place, but could be- That's what I said. I think we're still in the storming stage, right? We're still like, there's all these different opportunities popping up where everybody's still trying to figure out what which ones to use and how to use them and bring them in and get everybody trained. So, you know, I think, I'm trying to think if there's any function that I think has really gotten there yet. I think it's all really new, but you know, you know, someday, maybe in the next five years, that'll I think that'll be where what we're all talking about is how all our systems talk to each other and connect and yeah. and run so smoothly, but not sure we're there yet. Yeah, yeah. I think we're working on it for sure. It definitely, I think, is a focus. Um, what is is there any like technology area or kind of methodology or something that you've seen kind of become more automated or agile that's got you the most excited? Like what has like a new development you've seen in the last year or so that's been most exciting for you? You know, what I think has been interesting, especially from a technology enablement standpoint is we've gone from, so if you, you know, you started with kind of technology enablers, so it's kind of your, your standard, like low complexity survey, right? Mm -hmm. And that, but now it's like grown so much. So it's grown to be really cool in depth qualitative, but then also like really advanced quant. So it's like, you know, these quant tools and methods that you used to have to hire, you know, a, a statistician to run, you can now run yourself, which is kind of scary, but also cool. So to me, I think this evolution of technology enablers across almost the full system um, of research is really cool. Um, and it'll be interesting to see again where which areas grow, and I think the interconnectedness will be um, a big one to come as well. Because I think there will be an opportunity then to start to connect those streams a little bit better, so they're not so disparate. But um, 
it's just the, the, the breadth and the depth of the, the innovation has been really exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is an exciting time to be in the insight space and to see all the technology emerging. Cause it's, yeah. it's like nonstop. There's always something new out there. Like you said, I, I going to a conference and seeing booths of all these tech players that, you know, yeah. didn't exist a year ago or whatever. Yeah. It seems like there's every year is like, there's new, new things that people have thought of. So yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Well, I'm, I'm next week I'll be in New York at Quirks and I'll check out the new booths for you there. I missed, missed everyone at Dallas. I was very feeling the FOMO from all of the uh, <laughs> LinkedIn posts and all, all everything like that, but I heard good things. Yeah. It was great. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show today. This has been a really great conversation. Really interesting to think about you know, um, just a different mindset of how we're building technology for the future and not, not just for the work we're doing today. So thank you so much yes. for your perspective on that. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to wish everyone, you know, happy future building for your next five. And uh, I hope that it really drives the industry and really drives um, research to be even more impactful. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. I can't wait to see you then.